Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. Now, the business world has faced an extraordinary challenge over the last few years with the COVID-19 pandemic and then the war in Ukraine. This, in addition to regulation and compliance, can challenge business leaders and stakeholders to maximise sustainability and organisational performance while maintaining a good ESG compliance. A new book, The Adventure of Sustainable Performance, aims to address these questions. I'm delighted to be joined now by the co-authors of this book, Stuart McClacken and Dean Sanders. You're both very welcome to the programme. Great to be here. Thanks, yeah, Bobby. Great to be here, Bobby. Now, Stuart, we might start with you. Why did you and Dean decide to write this book? Yeah, well, I think that we, you know, we've, we've been in this world for sort of 25, 30 years. And so we've seen quite a lot of changes. We've worked with a lot of inspirational leaders. Uh, and we also just felt that, you know, this, this moment in time that we're in at the moment, which, to be honest, is when you, I mean, I first learned about the climate science back in 1985. And when you understand the reality of the climate science, then this moment in time was always inevitable. But we just didn't know when it was going to happen. Uh, and for whatever reasons that we can reflect on, we believe that uh, that it really happened and the world sort of woke up to the reality of what was going on about four years ago. Uh, and uh, and so we, we recognise that transformational change, uh, not just for the business community, but we're particularly interested in the business community, uh, transformational change was inevitable. Uh, the leaders were going to have to go on a journey that they're going to have to move from the existing models and systems, break out of business as usual and, and the status quo, uh, and step into what is now widely being called this transition zone, which is this this uh, this zone uh, between when one era ends and and a new era arrives. Uh, and uh, and so we felt that we had quite a lot of insights uh, that we spent uh, a lot of years preparing leaders for this moment in time and acting as their guide. And, and we really wanted to distill that out and see if we could we could bring that learning to a wider audience. Is there something around ESG? And again, obviously, we know that being environment, environmental, social and corporate governments, that it should just be mainstreamed. But one of the, one of the enemies of it is all the, I suppose, the measurement the regulation and the bureaucracy around it. Is there any way that we could sort of simplify that to make it more attractive and to make it a little bit more, I suppose, frictionless for businesses to actually just make it, to mainstream it into their business? Yes, for sure there are. And I, and I think that, I mean, maybe just take a step back. I think that the opportunity for enterprises, particularly private sector ones, but not exclusively to to have proactively entered that transition zone that Stuart was just talking about has always been there. You know, there are examples of, of great companies and great organizations that have that have sort of risen to the challenge and proactively gone for low carbon business models or introduced circular economy models, you know, proactively, but it hasn't been sufficiently widespread and mainstream which is why we've then ended up with uh, not just the ESG acronym, but a whole bunch of other acronyms, the CSRD in Europe, 
and uh, the SEC in the US and the RBI in Switzerland. They're, they're, you know, the regulators are realizing that they, they, in addition to the carrot that was always there, there now needs to be a stick and, and there's a lot of compliance coming up. And it's really important for us in our roles working with client organizations to, to help them and equip them for that compliance agenda. But that is the beginning of the journey of the adventure of sustainable performance, not the end of it. It has to be done. It is a compliance mandate. We, we need to help our clients do that in a way that is streamlined and efficient. And we've developed some interesting digital tools that do just that. I think we really try, try to take the uh, some of the heavy lift out of, uh, of, of organizations. But what it mustn't do is get in the way of the real journey, which is the excitement of the, of the innovation and the opportunities for organizations to revisit their business models and think through how can we step up as entrepreneurs? How can we step up as leaders to, to, to benefit from that sounds a strange thing to say but to capitalize on if you want the discontinuities the disruption and the and the future which is for example can we build businesses that are decarbonized at the point of inception or that are you know circular in the way that they or inclusive in terms of the way that they um you know take care of all of the various participants and actors in the supply chain so so you know in a nutshell we're very much focused on making that compliance agenda of ESG efficient and smooth for our clients, but we're also using it as a springboard so that they can do really interesting things, create new value and create new opportunities uh, for them and for their customers and for their, uh, their suppliers and their investors. We've seen recently, you know, organizations like BlackRock uh, rejecting ESG proposals from shareholders. When we see... I suppose that at a high level where it's been rejected at the boardroom because all these banks were giving green loans and, you know, it all seemed to be the thing to do. But now is that, would you see that as a setback in in promoting the sustainability agenda? Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of people are talking uh, about it in, that, in those kind of terms. We don't see it like that. We see that, you know, it's it's rapidly evolving. Uh, and we need to, to bring more sort of sophistication into our thinking. So it is too binary uh, for us to look at, you know, dirty businesses and clean businesses and for investors to look to deploy capital just into clean businesses. Because if we do that, then it will be the services and digital businesses that receive the capital and the, and the businesses that we really need to make the pivot during this time of transition will not necessarily be the recipients of the capital they need to be able to pursue the decarbonisation strategies or whatever. We know that, you know, as we move from one era into the transition zone and we start to sort of reimagine and think about how we might redesign the parameters of the next era, we know that the next era is going to need energy, for example. Um, and so there's a lot of industrial-based businesses out there that need to make the pivot and need capital. So, so what we need is we need capital to be deployed where we need it to be deployed to be able to yeah. make the pivot that the world needs to make. Um, but there needs to be conditions attached to that, for example, decarbonisation strategy. So the ESG agenda has become binary, it's become politicised and it's become weaponized, which is quite unhealthy. And I said, so I think that we're going to start to see us moving into the next kind of evolution of thinking around it. Does, does the power of change here not lie, I suppose, in three categories? With employees who say, I don't want to work for a company that doesn't have good uh, green credentials. With customers who say, I don't want to buy off that company because I don't like their environmental policies. 
and thirdly, the political will to actually, I suppose, force change through legislation. Are they not the three kind of pillars of change yeah, where yeah. we're going to see the real movement? Absolutely, they are. And, and I think, of course, there are others as well. But I think focusing in on those, and one of the really interesting things when you're helping organizations find their own unique transition pathway is to understand the relative importance of those different stakeholder groups for that particular industry or that particular organization. So in some cases, if you're an organization that has a lot of uh, employees, then employee attraction and retention will be a critical component of your own unique organizational journey towards what we call day two in the book. Um, but in, in, in other cases, and, and, and a lot of the cases in, in uh, consumer products, um, the consumers are, are choosing the kind of brands and the kind of products that they want and, and investing you know, their, their expenditure, if you want, into the brands that they believe in, the brands with a purpose and the ones that resonate with their lifestyles. And we've already seen a big shift in the last generation when we talk about the millennials and the Gen Z, but the Gen, Gen Alpha, there's some new research out recently that the, the next generation coming through the Gen Alpha put, puts three times more emphasis on a on the trust trusting relationship with brands and they're particularly interesting they're looking for uh, brands that are represented by creator founders that are being created in order not just to sell them and, and have a sort of transactional relationship with them but to be shaping the future uh, because they see and they, they're growing up in this crisis and they're seeing uh, you know what is happening around climate change and they're sort of witnessing that on a daily basis and they realize that, that they can they can use their own purchasing power to positively influence uh, that into the future. Yeah, so I suppose, you know, for two gentlemen who've been around this, I suppose, this area uh, for, for 20 or 30 years, when I look, I was over recently and I visited uh, the Eden Project, which you'll be familiar with uh, down in Cornwall. Mm. And I was just thinking that when they started all those years ago, how revolutionary it was and really that there seemed to be what I got from that was that they seemed to be so far ahead uh, because they mainstreamed it and it's all that they do now. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I mean, we, we've observed and I suppose this goes back to my opening comment about, you know, how how we've the, the observations about four years ago when we felt that so much of what we've been doing for about 25 years of our career was sort of on the periphery. Uh, and, you know, typically this agenda was thrown a bit of money, not particularly large budgets, but but organisations were saying to perhaps the ESG or sustainability managers, do some good stuff, you know, because we want some nice stories. But it actually wasn't changing fundamentally the way they do business. Uh, and, uh, and, and to Dean's point, what we were really seeing is that leaders were shoring up the walls of their stronghold uh, and increasingly trying to move their stakeholders into a fantasy zone fueled by, by greenwashing or climate denial or, or trying to make out that they were actually doing great stuff. But it was yeah. all on the edges. It was all on the edges. And, and so, you know, I think that what you've seen at the Eden Project is what we see across all our markets all over the world which is this agenda has become mainstream and is having to be embraced. Okay, well, we'll have to leave it there, guys. Uh, it is a fascinating subject. It is now mainstream. And as I say, uh, for businesses, ignore it at your peril. 
Uh, the book is called The Adventure of Sustainable Performance. And the authors are Stuart McClacken and Dean Sanders. Thank you very much for your time, gentlemen. And good, good luck in your quest. Yeah, thank you, Bobby. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.